ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terra Master, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Johnny Gallagher, hey, thank you for coming back to ATV Talk, a motorsports podcast. Yeah, the name's changed a little bit. Uh, we're branching out in some other directions, and we just want to make sure that everybody gets covered. But welcome back, Johnny. How are you, man? Uh, everything's great, Lenny. Good to, uh, good to be on here with you tonight and looking forward to uh, talking about some exciting things. Well, hey, it was great to see you at round one of the World Off-Road Championship Series. Um, that brings to mind, in the prep for episodes. Normally most people know I shoot from the hip and just start asking questions because I know a little bit about you. What I didn't know is I was looking at a post online that uh, the moose head. Oh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the big deer head, it, it was actually a white tailed deer. But it's a um, it, it it's a hybrid of of some court sorts. Um, yeah, so you're you're talking about when I won X Factor in 2017, the trophy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, it was a pretty cool trophy. Um, obviously, to kind of commemorate a pretty cool day. Um, about 23 years at that time, 23 years of of racing XC1 and won my first uh, overall in GNCC. And the uh, the trophy that day was a I, I, I mean, the screen's not big enough for me to spread my arms, the racks. Um, it's about six foot across. Um, and the, the mount stands, uh, stands about four and a half foot tall. So it's, uh, it's a pretty impressive trophy and, um, I'm, I'm not a haunter. Um, but I guess, uh, I guess I bagged the big one that day. Oh yeah, you did. That was, that was pretty impressive. Um, I will come back and ask more questions about that later on tonight, but you got to travel to the West coast in November. Um, Hunter Hart, Josh Merritt came out. You guys got to hook up with Corey Ellis. Um, give me a little backstory on that. Um, so that whole thing came together. Um, I actually did the round, I believe it was round one of the, 
work series in January, towards the middle of January last year, this would be January, 2021 at uh, Lake Havasu. Um, that was another kind of just shoot from the hip, uh, kind of moment. Um, I have, uh, I travel with one of the, one of the two East coast, um, GBC support rigs that go to the races. Um, it's also my personal trailer that, that, uh, it, it's owned by GBC, but I use it to travel to and from the races. And it was in need of a facelift, a uh, new wrap. We'd had the previous wrap on there for two years. And, um, Corey and I were talking and he's like, Hey, you know, I got this guy in California. that's going to wrap it. I need you to drive out from Ohio, which obviously that's a haul, but I had had such a good time. Uh, being in Utah in would have been November of 2020. Um, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll drive out and we'll get the trailer wrapped. I'll spend two, three weeks out there training and, and getting ready for the season. So again, this was early 2021. I was out there. Jared McClure drove out with his girlfriend, uh, Caitlin Osborne, and they just threw out the idea of let's go race the work trips. They didn't even have bikes with them. Uh, they were just in a van with bicycles. They borrowed a bike. They shared a bike for the work race. And I had a, a GNCC practice bike with me and just went and raced that. So then after doing that, that kind of gave me a whole new appreciation for, for those guys and <clears throat> how fast they are, how rough those tracks are. And um, I wanted an opportunity to come back and, and put my foot um, put a better foot forward, I guess, if you, if you will. So, uh, we had some grandiose plans throughout the year of trying to do some testing and, and all kinds of stuff. It, it didn't really pan out, but I did come out with more of a, a works setup. Um, came out with, we took, uh, what was one of my previous race bikes through a wider setup on it. Um, some different suspension and, uh, yeah, came out, raced that race in November. And when the word got around, um, actually Walker Fowler was, was scheduled to come out as well and, and represent GBC. And he's really been wanting to do a work race. So that was the plan. Um, Walker obviously got injured at the last GNCC, uh, tweaked his knee a little bit and just wasn't able to, you know, come along. He was, he was getting checked out, which he's fine back riding and racing, but, uh, he was spending some time getting that knee checked out. And the smart thing for him to do was stay home and Josh and, and Hunter were like, Hey, we want to come out and do that race. So just all kind of came together spur of the moment. Uh, I came out, did the race. I ended up staying, I think I was out for about a month in Utah, California, um, obviously Nevada for the race, had a great time. I uh, got to battle with those guys and, you know, you and I obviously spoke on site there. And, and again, when I was back last month, um, you know, a lot of respect for those guys. They're, they're very, very good at what they do. And, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get out there as much as I can. It's going to be challenging the next couple months, obviously with the schedules, the way they are, but, I uh, would definitely like to um, try to try to make another works race as soon as possible. I know Josh, uh, Hunter both had a great time and, you know, Walker still wants to come out. So hopefully we'll get the East coast boys together at least one more time this year in 2022 and, and come out and bang bars with those guys. That would be awesome. That really would be, we really enjoy having you guys. Hey, I know that we spoke at the race, but not everybody got to know a, a little bit what would happen. And on lap one, when they came out of the box, you were in fourth behind um, Roberto and Travis uh, with Bo leading, obviously. And uh, you were putting on a good show. You also had uh, uh, Kenny Stanford right behind you as well. Yeah. Kenny actually was in front of me. Um, I think I was in fifth, uh, when the shift shaft actually broke. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's one of those things, um, 
hindsight's 2020. And during practice on Saturday, there was kind of a wall jump out in the desert. And um, like I said, really tried to come out the, the second time when I was just there in November of, uh, or I'm sorry, in January of 2022, just last month, um, basically just three weeks ago, was there for round one. Um, wanted to come out swinging a, a little bit stronger, you know, get a little bit better each time. And I really felt like, um, I think I ended up, uh, sixth, if I remember correctly, um, in November. So I really wanted to, you know, shoot for a top five and, and if possible, try to battle for a podium. So, um, yeah, but was kind of my goal. So I, I was really trying to push on Saturday and practice and find some lines and, find my groove and, and changed a couple of things. Logan Huff, obviously one of the top dogs there and works is injured. So he was helping me dial the bike in a little bit during practice. And long story short, I just, uh, got a little risky off the wall jump. And I think I landed on the shifter a little bit. And when I did it, I thought to myself, Oh man, I, you know, I hope I didn't break or damage the shifter. And you know, the bike was shifting fine and kind of didn't think again of it. I probably should have checked it out that afternoon or evening. Uh, fast forward to Sunday morning, like I said, it came out with kind of a mid-pack start, made some passes, uh, got up to fifth, fourth, was kind of battling with Kenny Sanford um, and Roberto and uh, uh, and Travis were right there in front. And we were bumper to bumper to bumper to bumper. Bo was starting to pull off a little bit. And, and to be honest, I was really feeling good and thought, man, you know, um, if I can make some passes here, I, I didn't have any delusions of of winning or, or even necessarily getting on the podium, but I was just psyched to be battling with those guys and really in the battle and yeah, came into a corner, uh, went to downshift and it just didn't feel right. Looked down and shifter was snapped or the shift shaft was broken and the shifter was hanging straight down. So it was a real bummer, but had a blast, um, you know, just getting to hang with those guys throughout the weekend. And like I said, looking forward to coming back and doing it again. That's awesome. We really, I really would have liked to have seen that because you did look super strong. I didn't get to see you in practice, but I did get to see you in that, that short portion of the race. And it was quite exciting for the crowd to uh, see on that first lap that, I mean, Bo had gapped a little bit, but he wasn't as far away as everybody expected him to be. Well, that's the thing, you know, um, where we were at when my shift shaft broke was about a little over halfway through the first lap and Bo had really started to pull off. Um, and he was probably a good two turns, if not more ahead of us. And then something happened between when my shift shaft broke and basically I pulled off before you crossed the road into the, what they call the desert section. And I kind of rode the road back. And the reason why I did that was I knew if I had to go through that pro section, the rock garden, there was no way I would be able to do it. I think I was stuck in third gear and with the shifter hanging down, I, I knew I would likely you know, break the cases, cause damage. Um, so I just rode the road back. And when I came back and, and they came to the moto track to finish that lap a few minutes later, um, Roberto and, and Travis were right behind Bo. Like they had, so I don't know if they made up time in the desert section or Bo made a mistake or what the situation was, but like you said, um, what I had thought was Bo starting to run away early in lap one, they actually reeled him back in. And, um, you know, as you saw throughout the race, they kept him pretty close for, um, probably about the first half of that race, they were within striking distance. It wasn't really till the end that he kind of got a comfortable margin and you could see he was just kind of managing that gap. Oh yeah. I mean, wily, wily old veteran that he is, you know, yep. always making it comfortable. Yeah. A lot of respect for those guys. Like I said, and you know, a lot of people maybe that are watching this didn't, didn't get the opportunity to see that live, um, broadcast that you did from the works race back in November with myself, Josh, uh, Hunter and our Hunter 
Walker and Mize mechanic, Mark Notman, um, you know, and, and you had made a comment. I just kind of want to back up to this. You made a comment that, you know, us coming out kind of lends more credibility and legitimacy um, to those guys in that series. And, and I truly believe that um, the credibility and legitimacy is there regardless of any East coast guys coming out. Um, to me, it's just cool that, um, you know, for whatever reason it is, it seems we have a bit bigger social media following and kind of more people follow the GNCC series. So I'm more than happy to come out there and um, not willingly, but get my butt kicked to show, you know, just, just how good those guys are, what they do. And um not coming out there to be a charity case. Like I want, I want to compete. I, I want to, you know, battle for top fives and top threes. And, you know, in a perfect world, we get a little rain. I sure would like to battle with Bo for a win um, or whoever it may be, you know, Mike Sloan, Logan, um, Travis, Roberto, you know, those guys, the Sanford boys, uh, you got some young pro-am guys that are really quick. Um, Braxton Gross, um, the Ortiz that just moved up from pro-am. I mean, there's a lot of talent there. There's, those guys work hard. Obviously it's very clear to me when I'm there and, uh, anything that I can do to help, help bring light to that. Um, yeah, they're the real deal. I'm, I'm pumped for them and want to come out and bang bars with them when I can. That's awesome. You need to bring the rest of the crowd. We need to also, we are all also actively trying to figure out a way to come back and do, um, a cross country race. Uh, Travis and I have had a long conversation about it. Um, so, some things are, are trying to become in the works. Um, our schedule's not aligning up um, and the machine's not lining up, but, but we're going to work at it and keep at it. Uh, we would probably go back and race Ironman. Yeah, I, I think that would definitely be a good idea. And I spoke with Travis a little bit about that. And I've spoken with Logan Huff as well. Um, tried to goad Bo into it a little bit and uh, you know, and that's obviously having Travis and, and uh, Logan and any of those guys that, that can and are willing to and able to come out would be awesome. Um, I, I just think obviously as long as Bo's been doing it, um, I, I just think it would be really cool to see him, you know, the eight, nine time works champ. Nine. Yeah. Um, come out and, and no, I, I couldn't remember if it was eight or nine. So no disrespect, Bo. I wasn't trying to take championships away from me. Um, but the nine time works champ, I, I'd love to see him come out and, uh, you know, try his hand at, at East coast woods racing. And, um, they're very, very different, um, very different platforms. I mean, yes, it's off road racing, but the train, the bike setup, everything's so different. I just, you know, but, but I think what we see obviously is whether it be us coming out there, I'm sure those guys coming here that the cream's always going to rise to the top. Um, maybe not quite as close to the top as we thought, like, you know, I, I wasn't really sure. I, about saying after coming out there in January of 2021 and racing Havasu and getting smoked. Um, I think I finished seventh in, I think I finished seventh in pro, but I got beat by two pro am guys on, on, you know, when it was all said and done. So I think I finished ninth and I was like, man, like I was very honest about saying I expected to be in the top five. And I really thought that I would likely be battling for a podium. And that was, I, I'm just trying to be as honest as I can be. That's not a matter of disrespect. That's just where I thought I would work in with those guys. So um, if anything, it's in my mind, it's a show of respect to say, hey, you know, I'm a man. I can admit I was wrong. Um, you guys are way faster and, and better at what you do than then you're given credit for, or at least than I was giving you credit for. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, I would love to see those guys come out and I'm, I'm certain that they would do well. 
if you could explain in in your words a little bit of the difference that you have to face going from a woods race or a cross country race to what what we consider an off road race, which in some cases is a desert race in a shorter form. Well, you you said a lot right there. Um, and I don't, I don't, I definitely absolutely think what, what you guys, the works off-road championship series is absolutely off-road. Um, it's just the terrain is so different there that off-road there is different from East coast off-road. So it really just comes down to the terrain, not so much the format. Um, yes, for sure. The tracks are shorter. Um, you know, our standard GNCC, um, for a two hour race nowadays is four laps. Um, it's rare. Occasionally we do five laps, but five is the absolute maximum. Um, I think at Lake Havasu, um, for an hour and a half race, uh, I think, I think I did 12 or 14 laps. Um, now that was Havasu, obviously that's one of the shorter tracks. So I think that's the biggest difference to me is the length of the course, obviously the type of terrain, which is, is governed by where the race is held. Um, you know, going back to 2009, uh, sorry, 2010, um, I raced a works race in, um, Stradaline, Washington, yeah. and that was much closer to an East coast woods race. Like just because it was in the trees, it was woods. Yes. The dirt was different. Yes. It was a shorter course. Yes. And, and the other thing too, is obviously with the works, um, for anyone that doesn't know if there's any GNCC people or East coast people watching this, there's a lot, I shouldn't say a lot. There is a substantial amount of moto mixed in. They typically run either the moto course or a section of it. Um, and then there's also some man-made obstacles in the case of the November race, concrete K rails that were about chest high. Um, so yeah, there's, we don't, um, we don't see those elements as, as commonly in GNCC. We used to run a lot of moto. Um, the shift in recent years has been, even when we go to facilities that have moto tracks, they choose not to utilize them for, for the GNCC courses. So that, that's probably the biggest difference, um, in terms of the actual course, the, the layout, the structure of it. Um, and the biggest difference I could say in racing it is, for me is the intensity. Um, the works races, at least Havasu, Prim, and back in the day I did Mesquite. Um, they're very, they're very intense courses. They, your, your heart rate gets up real quick. It's more like a moto sprint. You start from a gate, just, you know, just like you do, or, you know, you start live engine, um, at least we did it prim, um, you know, the, this last time you start live engine. So it's more like a moto sprint and those guys are on closer to a moto setup. Um, so yeah, it's like a battle moto battle the first little bit until it kind of sorts itself out. Um, and I think that was what I struggled the most with in November was that intensity. And that's what I was kind of most excited with when I was there just a few weeks ago is I felt comfortable with that sprint right from the start. Cause I had mentally and, and kind of physically prepared myself for it. Um, so that's the change. Whereas GNCC, I think is a, a little bit more, you, you have that sprint for a couple corners, but then once you get into the, the trees, you're kind of regulated by the course. So it's more single file. There's not quite the side by side battling going on on the first lap as much as, as there is in the works. It, it almost becomes more of a chess match in GNCC and the works were just a bit more of a, of a sprint, almost moto type setup. 
it's a good way to explain it, you know, because when the hammer drops, you're on it or, or, or you're in the back of the back at a works race. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what happened to me in November was, um, kind of got same ish start that I did being there a couple of weeks ago, mid pack ish. Um, but in November I pumped up right away, everything was happening really fast. And, and obviously, uh, and, and actually even going back to January and, and have us same thing, like start on a moto track right into the moto intense. A lot of guys kind of maybe overriding a little bit, at least in my perspective. Um, so there's a lot of bumping and banging and shoving and whiskey throttle and smashing into each other. And, and obviously not being there for points. I'm kind of like, yeah, man, I, you know, I want to do well, but I want to get through this first lap safely and then start, you know, kind of work my way through and, and works. You can't do that. Um, you, you pretty much, if, like you said, you know, if you're not with that front group, within the first couple of turns, they're going to start pulling away. Um, so this, this most recent time I was definitely more aggressive off the start. And instead of being bumped around and pushed out of the way, I was the one kind of doing the bumping and pushing and saying, no, I, you know, I feel like I'm going to finish ahead of you. So I'm going to go ahead and get by you now kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's different and it, it's good for me because that's honestly something I struggle with in GNCC as well. And I think a part of that is age, not to use that as a crutch, but I'm definitely more calculated the older I get and I kind of pick my battles if that makes sense. And, you know, when I know I'm looking at a two hour long race, um, I, I kind of look at it as, as I said, a chess match, you know, if I, if I put all my good moves and all my good pieces out in the first five minutes, it's not going to leave me with much for the rest of the race. So I, I try to kind of get stronger as the race goes on, but, uh, works definitely helped me up my intensity. So you brought up the age thing and I don't want to, I don't want to harp on it all because I'm awesome. I don't mind. <laughs> and I think it's great that you're still racing. Um, beans that you're older than most of your competitors in some cases old enough to be their dad. <laughs> no, no, no pun intended. Uh, what do you do differently now to train your body for that long season that you used to, that you used to take for granted? Um, man, that's such a, that's such a multifaceted question to answer. Um, and I, I'll try to make it as brief as I possibly can. When I was a teenager or in my early twenties, nobody was really training for racing. Um, not just because we were young, but it just wasn't a thing. Like when guys talked about training, it was you know, they would go for a run every now and again, or they would ride a lot. That, that was kind of training back in the early to mid nineties. Um, when I turned pro, no one, no one really had, and, and I don't know that the science of training really even existed back then, or if it did, it was for like marathon athletes and professional cyclists and stuff. Like it really hadn't worked its way over into the motorsports industry, or maybe there was people doing it and they just weren't sharing it. <laughs> um, but it wasn't, it wasn't well known. Like I know guys like Barry Hawk and, um, you know, even on the motocross side, um, you know, Tim Farr and those guys, like I knew those guys well, and I knew what they were doing to be at the top and, and they were just kind of riding as much as they could. And, you know, they, they might, um, they might go for a run every now and again, or, or kind of go and, you know, lift some weights in the gym a couple times a month or something like that. But there wasn't the structured training. So to answer your question, the, 
in the amount of time, this will be my 28th season as an XC1 pro rider. In the amount of time that I've been racing professionally, the kind of the roadmap to success has changed. And then I've almost had to change, not almost, I've had to change even more to not only keep up with the curve, but to try to get ahead of the curve because of my age. So to answer your question, what I do differently than what I did when I was younger, or what I'm probably doing differently than a lot of the younger guys, everything. Um, I have to, during the season, if, if for me to be at my best, I have to pay attention to what I'm eating. Um, I have to be diligent about my training. Um, I have to monitor my recovery. Um, and I have to ride as much as I can. And I've been, been fortunate to not have a lot of serious injuries, but just the wear and tear of, you know, this will be my 40th year racing and my 28th season racing professionally. So there's a lot of wear and tear on the muscles, the bones, the joints, the ligaments, everything. Um, so yeah, I got to take care of my body and, and prepare it as best I can. And, and, uh, obviously I know that, that this train is not going to keep running forever. Well, that being said, I know that you race because you love it, but sure. is there a portion of you that keeps racing because you know, when it's, when you stop, it's going to hurt. Um, people always say that and no, I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I'm saying I don't, that doesn't factor in, into my reasoning. Um, I actually have long since said probably since about 2013 or 14, I've said when I'm done racing, I'll actually spend more time cycling and, and on bicycles, um, and, and just kind of keeping myself moving because I really enjoy that. Um, I would like to do more of it than what I have time to do. And, and this, someone could take this next statement wrong. And I love racing and I love, um, I love ATVs, but for me, the riding is a have to, like, I have to do that. I have to go ride. I have to go. When I say train, like get on the practice bike and go put in the seat time. That's a have to. I don't enjoy the riding during the week anymore. And it's not for me, it's not because I don't like the riding part of it. I don't like the prep. I don't like the cleanup. It's just, it's such a redundant thing for me that I've done it for so many years. Um, that's the part, like my brain already knows, like, yes, I have a great time when I get on my ATV during the week and I go put in my 30 minute motos or I go put in an hour sprint or whatever it is. And especially like right now I'm in Florida riding with Walker Fowler every day. Um, when I came back from the works race, I was in with Chris Borich a little further, uh, North in Florida, you know, riding with guys like that, riding with anyone, riding with my friends. It's awesome. But the minute that you shut that key off when you're done riding, you know, you're looking at that ATV and you're like, well, that was a fun one hour. Now that means four hours of prep work. Um, and that's the part I don't like. So for me, when I'm done racing professionally, I will no longer practice. Um, I will still race. I will still ride. Um, but there will be no practicing. It will be, if I ride, it'll be to go out with my buddies and have a good time and goof off and ride wheelies. And, you know, I might put in some, you know, fast little loops here or there, but mostly it's just going to be to have a good time because I'm, that's the only part of my racing career that I'm completely over is the bike prep, washing and maintenance. Um, and I'll shout out right now, Mark Notman, if you're watching this, uh, Mark took over doing my race bike stuff. Um, I think he built me first race bike. He built for me was in 2013 and he's built every race bike since then. Uh, he maintains my race bikes and, and does quite a bit of stuff on my practice bikes as well. When he has time, um, if it were not for Mark Notman, I would not be racing today. Um, because there's very few people 
that I would trust to turn wrenches on a bike that I'm going to get on and essentially trust them with my life. Um, and Mark is, is on a list of maybe three people and he's done an awesome job for me since 2014. And, um, he says he'll continue to wrench for me as, as long as I want him to, but he's in high demand. So pretty well soon here, we're going to have to talk about maybe opening up a spot and I'll move to the, uh, you know, the super senior class and I'll wrench on my own stuff then. Cause the only time I'll ride it will be at the GNCCs <laughs> or if I come to a works race or whatever else. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome stuff to hear. Um, I like the fact that you, you want to go cycling and things like that. Do you guys do much mountain bike stuff back there or is it just mostly road, mostly road bike? We do. Um, it, it, it depends on who, um, who I'm with. I'm kind of a nomad. Um, I mentioned, you know, I have a 42 foot, um, gooseneck trailer courtesy of GBC motorsports. It's essentially, I call it my tiny home. Um, so I've been in my tiny home since January 2nd, I left Ohio and, uh, I'll be in my tiny home living full time, um, from January 2nd till I think when I looked at the schedule, I won't be going back to Ohio until May. So, you know, January, February, March, April, and part of May, um, I live, live in the trailer. Um, I'm here, as you can see, I'm in a house right now. This is uh, Walker Fowler's Florida house. Um, been here a little over two weeks now. Prior to that was up at Borches. I spent a good bit of time typically, uh, at Caleb Russell's place, um, either in Florida or his place in North Carolina back to the point. Um, everybody does things differently. Um, Chris sports likes to mountain bike a lot. We were big into the road bike thing for a long time. Um, he's now gotten back into more, more road biking, less mountain biking. So I did a good bit of road biking when I was up at Chris's, uh, since I got down here to walkers, um, he doesn't road bike hasn't for years. Um, he's, I don't know if I'm supposed to give away secrets or not, but he's, he's normally a runner. He's a guy that runs a lot. Um, but he's kind of transitioning now with the impact of running. Um, he's transitioning into cycling, but he does the stationary cycling, um, the Peloton type thing. He's big into that right now. Um, so I've actually got my road bike hooked up to a trainer and a Zwift setup, which is a basically a virtual cycling app where you can kind of see where you're going on a, on a little computer screen. So that's been a lot of it. And then, uh, mountain biking as well here, Walker's kind of getting back into that a little bit. Um, and then when I'm in North Carolina or Florida with, uh, Caleb Russell, those guys, they road bike every single day. They mountain bike on the weekend for fun. Um, so yeah, each, each kind of group or each trainer, each uh, person is different, but a lot of time spent on bicycles either way. Do you, do you notice that the bicycle riding helps you, um, your, your RA, your cardiovascular gets your lungs to expand, but the road bike gives you that, that long stamina where the mountain bike gives you the small muscle work in your arms and neck and shoulders. Um, I definitely think there's a difference for sure. I don't think I know there is in the two, um, road biking builds, um, builds endurance for sure. Um, especially when you do long, hard rides and, and you start to learn how your body reacts to different heart rates and different powers. I have a power meter on my road bike. So, you know, I know how much power I'm putting out. I know what my heart rate's at. I know how my body's reacting and if I'm gaining strength or I'm gaining endurance or whatever it is. Um, but the mountain biking is interval training. Obviously heart rate spikes up quick, comes back down. Um, and that's just due to the terrain. You know, you climb a hill, 
mountain biking and, and your heart rate's going to spike. Yeah. Depending on when, where you're pedaling on a road bike, you, you might have some intervals by the topography, but nothing like with mountain biking. Uh, the other thing with mountain biking, obviously with us being woods racers or off-road racers, you know, if you're mountain biking, the similar terrain to what you race, there is a lot of similarities. You're reading lines. Um, you're kind of judging your braking points. Um, there's a lot, in my opinion, there's a lot of crossover from the bike skills of mountain biking and, and reading terrain to actually racing with road biking. It's, it's purely just power and lungs. That's what it is. <laughs> I like the mountain bike stuff because it gave me that thrill of racing again, even though you weren't racing, you know, you, oh, yeah. you climb that monster hill and the reward was the come down. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, and then there's obviously the, the, um, the new, evolution of, of e-mountain bikes, the pedal assists, and we all have those out East here. Everyone uses those to preview the tracks. Um, and, and occasionally we'll actually take those out for a fun rip on the mountain bike trails, the places that they're allowed. And uh, those are, it's, it's almost like it's a hybrid between riding a dirt bike and, and riding a Cause you can actually get yourself into trouble. You, when I say that, I mean, you can accelerate so quickly and, and be carrying so much speed that, you know, it's almost like riding a dirt bike in a lot of ways. So that that's a lot of fun as well and keeps it exciting. And you can use that on a day that, um, you know, maybe you're trying to recover, but you still want to go out and get that adrenaline rush and get the heart rate up a little bit. You know, you can kind of toggle the power and, and get your appropriate workout. <laughs> I still think it's cheating. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. Um, but I, but I will tell you, if you pay attention, um, to some of the elite trainers, even in the moto world, there's more and more, they're starting to use the e-bikes. They're seeing the benefit. They're realizing that there's a lot of ways. I don't want to give too much away, but, um, you know, if you have a group of people that are training together, um, the e-bikes can be the great equalizer so that everybody's getting kind of the same, the same workload, even though they're at different levels of fitness. Yep. And, and, and I agree with that. I mean, uh, some of the guys that I've talked to, instead of going on a 10 mile ride, they'll go on a 20 mile ride and get twice the exercise, even though they had some assist in there, um, which is, which is good. And I, I would like that as well. Um, because when you don't ride as much as I do, I mean, I don't ride very much at all anymore. And yep. when you go out and you do that normal track that you had, and then you get halfway through and you're thinking, Oh my God, I'm only halfway. <laughs> and this is a shameless plug for me here with, um, you know, with Yamaha, obviously them, them having their, uh, YDX moral pro, um, the, the new full suspension mountain bike that they released last year. It's, uh, it's pretty cool to see, I've had specialized Levos since they came out in 2016, I believe it was. Um, and I do have Yamaha's now, and I do still have my specialized Levos. Um, it's cool to see how many people ride those bikes, even of mine that I've loaned, like I'll go out on my conventional bike and let them ride one of my Levos or, you know, I'll go out on a Levo and have it on low power mode. And some buddy of mine, buddies of mine from high school, which, you know, as we pointed out earlier, I'm a little bit older. Most of my buddies are not, uh, not in the prime of their lives physically. Um, so, you know, I can take those guys out, but some of them have been riders in their past and, um, they're having a blast and, and it's funny, more people than you would imagine have ridden those bikes, then gone out and bought their own, um, and have transitioned backwards. They start on the e-mountain bikes and then as their fitness gets better, um, they're like, Hey, 
I want the challenge of a, of an analog bike of a non pedal assist. So they've worked themselves up to where they can actually start mountain biking and cycling again. So it's pretty cool. I I'm a big fan of the e-bikes. I'm totally no question. They're cheating. Um, but I think it's cheating in a good way. And it, it's, it's opening up a really fun sport to even more people. That yeah, that too, because do you notice the difference from your old conventional bikes? Um, when you downhill them, they don't stick as well as the e-bikes. Oh, absolutely. And, and to be fair, um, my mountain bikes, my conventional mountain bikes, um, I, I ride Scott sparks, um, which are XC bikes, hundred, uh, previously had all been hundred mil travel bikes. Um, this year, the new spark RC that I have is a 110 bike. Um, but still it's a cross country bike. I mean, it, it, it's a rocket. It's a race bike. It's not, it does not downhill well at all. Um, I, I learned that last year when I came out West and I brought those bikes and I rode, um, you know, in like hurricane Utah and around, you know, the Washington St. George area. And we went out to gooseberry Mesa and don't get me wrong. We had a blast, but that's not the right bike for there. You know, you want a, a 140 travel enduro, you know, um, trail bike type thing, which is what the, the e-mountain bikes are they're 140 or 160 travel, depending on, you know, which models you get. Um, but yeah, there's a massive difference The the e-bikes stick, they're heavier. And when I say heavier, I mean that it stays planted more. Um, they're a blast to ride. They're, they're a great time. Yeah. Cause I had a 26 really loved it because it could run a fatter tire. It cornered better. I went to a 29. I'm not the littlest guy on the, in, in, on the planet, but I'm not the biggest. And the 29 wheels flex too much for me. Yeah, they're, uh, they're meant to go fast. Um, more so in a straight line though, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just a, a different, a different thing. Hey, I'm always asking questions. So I'm going to bring this in to, to you and, and, and uh, for your fans and for the XC fans and the people that are listening to this, we're going to start a new thing and it's called ask Leonard. So if people want to email me a, a question to hello at atvtalkpodcast.com, I will read your question and answer it on an episode that I'm taping with somebody. No, I don't know who the guest is going to be, but we'll, we'll sort through the questions and we're going to start reading them uh, so that everybody can either ask a question of Johnny and we'll get an answer because I'll reach out to Johnny with that question or anyone else that you have some information for. And we're going to try to bring more people into the episode. I know, Johnny, you have a lot of fans across the country, and I'm sure that they have questions that they'd love to ask you. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love uh, be more than happy to answer any questions and uh, whether they be related to racing or not, um, I'm happy to share. I'm uh, very appreciative for my fan base and and all the opportunities I've been provided because of ATV racing. I want to ask you another sticky question. When you practice with Chris or you practice with Walker, um, is there an, an intensity level with the different competitors? Ah, uh, man. Um, man You're that's a multi-time champs, dude. These guys are. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, there's so many different directions I could go with this answer. Um, so I'll try to sum it up, trying to keep it brief here. Um, every, some people practice differently than they race. Um, some people are better weekday riders than they are weekend riders and, and some vice versa. Um, I'll say that, uh, 
there's it's always competitive um even if it's not direct bar to bar like everybody has their lap timer devices and you know on the ride home you're comparing lap times and uh yeah it's 100% it's competitive um they're my friends um but i think the the friendly competition is is what drives us all to be better and there's a reason why i'm riding with these guys and um you know i i feel flattered and honored that um they consider me someone worthy of, of challenging them throughout the week. And, um, you know, over the years I've, I've had the opportunity to ride and train with, with some of the best riders in the world, uh, both two and four wheels. And, uh, yeah, I definitely don't, don't take that lightly. Um, it's, uh, it, it truly is an honor to, to get to not only race with those guys on the weekend, but, um, get to train with them during the week. And it, it, it to answer your question directly, it absolutely gets competitive. <laughs> I'll, I'll share with you i'll share with you a couple quick ones here i'll try to make it brief um a few years ago i i think i was probably the best i'd ever been it was actually when i won that race in 2017 had a couple other top fives early in the year and uh chris borch is, is probably arguably one of i mean obviously one of the greats of, of atv racing but one of the best during the week riders i've ever ridden with like Chris will absolutely embarrass guys in practice that somehow during a race, like, yeah, he'll beat them, but they might stay a little closer. Um, he brings that intensity every time he gets on the bike, like his intensity level is, is here every time he rides. Um, and there was a, he's very competitive. He's, he's probably the most competitive person I've ever been around in my life. One of Bill balance was up there as well. Um, but when I was at my best, there was a day that I just happened to be on. Um, this happened a couple times that winter. Um, I had lost a bunch of weight. I was really training and I, I reached out to a mutual friend, actually a mutual friend reached out to me and asked me how the day of riding went. And I just shared lap times. That was all I said. And I had put in for that one day. Now, mind you, we were riding five, six days a week and Chris was faster than me. Um, but it was getting closer and closer and closer. And that one day I was just on it and maybe Chris was a little bit off, but I, I put a considerably, a couple of considerably faster laps in. It was actually at Caleb Russell's place than Chris had. And I didn't, to this day, it's still a point of contention in our friendship. I didn't say it to brag about it or anything. Chris Bach, who was a former um, XC1 bike guy, factory Honda rider, rode for Johnny Campbell Racing, just reached out and said, hey, how'd riding go today? And I said, oh, it went good. And he made a joke and said, did you, did you embarrass Chris today or something like that? And I just texted him back a screenshot of lap times. That was all I said. He went immediately and ran to Chris and said that I had basically said I embarrassed Chris that day, which I'd never said. Um, we had a full blowout about it. That's how competitive it was. I mean, we were in the same sprinter van driving home and Chris wanted to pull the van over and fight on the side of the road because he... <laughs> Like that's how competitive it was. And I, I really had to explain to him. And I finally, I showed him the text thread and I said, Chris, I wasn't talking smack. He just asked how the day went. He asked, you know, who was faster. I sent him a screenshot of the lap times. That was it. And he said, like, why would you? And so anyway, Chris, super competitive, love the guy, but, and he's largely responsible for, you know, me continuing my career at the level I, I have for so long because of that, you know, competition between us. He's faster than me. He's got, six GNCC championships. I have zero. He has 75 GNCC wins. I have one. Um, but you know, that particular day I was faster. And, and the fact that that really got under his skin as crazy as that is, 
it just shows the competitor that he is. And, and I mean that as a compliment, like he doesn't want to lose to anybody ever, even if it's just the two of us out in the woods, no one knows about it. He still doesn't want to lose. Um, the irony flip side of that, um, and walkers might be in the kitchen right now. I think I heard those guys come in and he'll back me up on this. I am routinely faster than Walker during the week. It's a normal thing. Um, Walker does not, he thinks he does, but he does not practice at a hundred percent. Um, it's everybody thinks I'm a better practicer than he is. That's not what it is. He's not trying. He's trying, but he knows when he needs to lay it down and he needs to lay it down 13 times a year at the GNCCs, And he does that. Um, so that being said earlier this week, same thing, lap time battle. Um, we did an hour, actually, I'm sorry. It was a 45 minute moto. Our fastest laps were one, one hundredth of a second apart. Um, and he got me by a hundredth of a second. Um, two days later, he had a bike issue, hopped on my bike and on a much longer lap, um, 49 seconds faster on a 13 minute lap than I was on my own bike. So something got into him that day. So yes, it's competitive. Um, it's all tracked. There's no hiding GPS, GPS lap times. You can't lie. You, you can't click that button a little bit earlier, cheat with the stopwatch. Like it's all GPS, man. When you come across the line, that's your lap time. So, um, but that's what drives us. We're all competitive. That's awesome. I heard that, uh, Chris, is on a different brand. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think at this point that's a secret. Um, I don't know. Um, he's been posting on social media, so yeah, he's going to be back on a Yamaha for, uh, 2022. Um, he rode a Yamaha at the last round of 2021 at Ironman and it was his best finish of the year. Uh, he's comfortable on the bike. He, Ultimately, without putting words in his mouth, I think it's fine to share, you know, what he's kind of expressed to me. Um, he realizes that, you know, right now the Yamaha has the best machine. There's the most support for it. Um, and ultimately the Suzuki, it's getting harder to get parts. He doesn't, his sponsors are telling him they don't see the correlation, you know, people necessarily wanting to buy parts because Chris is using them because he's on a Suzuki. They feel if he's on a Yamaha, it, it transfers more. Um, he, he tried out the Honda thing in 2020, I believe it was. Um, he, I think he thought at that point going back to Honda, which he had had so much success on and he just couldn't get comfortable on it. Couldn't, uh, couldn't come up with a setup that was reliable. Went back to the Suzuki last year. Um, had a lot of bike issues again. And, um, so he's going to give the Yamaha a try. I wrote it in 2015. It did not work out well for him at all. Um, I hope that, uh, I hope things go better for him this year. I hope he falls in line with some of you guys and, and gets in the same soup as you guys do and, and, and can roll that out for him because he is a fierce competitor and, and one of the greats. Uh, and I, I hope that he, uh, can really put a good package together. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely still got the speed. He's still got the desire. Um, I think it's just been a lot of factors. Um, you know, we could all sit here and bench race about it forever, but you know, I, I think he's still got, he's still got the sauce. We'll see if uh, maybe he can put it to use this year. Well, let's just call him out here. I've been chasing him on social media for over a year. Chris, you need to come on the podcast, man. 
We want to talk if you, racing. If you can get Chris Boris to sit down and do a podcast interview, you are officially a magician. Um, it's hard to get him. I deal with him on the business side of things. It's hard to even get him to return a signed contract, let alone sit down and, and do an interview. And, and don't, Leonard, I'll tell you this. Don't take it personally. It's not just you. It, the, he, he, uh, we'll just leave it at that. He's a hard man to get a hold of. <laughs> you know, I think it's our industry because self-promotion is one of the downfalls to ATV racers, whether it be male or female, pro, pro am, expert, it doesn't matter. None of them want to talk. There's a few people such as yourself and a couple others that you would probably talk to me every day. But I can only do that so many times, you know, before the fans are like, hey, it's the same guy, you know. Um, so, so let, any of the racers that let, are- me, let me share one, let me share one thing with you, Lenny, I'll make this quick. Um, and I actually posted this, obviously, you know, Dustin Nelson, um, yeah. a good, a good buddy of his. And, and now I would say ours, um, Regis Harrington, uh, he's big in the movie industry. He's got a company called covert camera vehicles. He was a former pro motorcycle racer. He used to race with Dustin back when Dustin was a outdoor national guy, um, you know, supported Regis had a, from what I gather from the posts on social media, at one point he had a factory KTM ride back when KTM wasn't what they are now. Um, he got injured a bunch and the uh, a social media site, 90s era motocross, I believe it was reposted a picture of him. And he said, man, if I could talk to that kid, I would tell him just to take a breath and enjoy the moment. Um, I'll try to bring this full circle, but when I read that, it reminded me of a comment, uh, Jason Wagon, who obviously announces the outdoor nationals for the motorcycles, um, very, very influential man in, in uh, the motorsports industry. Years ago, he wrote an article. He said the irony of professional athletes, in his case, particularly pertaining to motorsports, is that in many cases or most cases, they don't recognize the position they're in and take the time to enjoy it. They spend so much time caught up in the competition of it, the preparation, the intensity of it, that they don't realize how awesome, and I'm paraphrasing here, how awesome of, of a position they're in until they look back on it years later. Um, to that point, you know, to someone like Chris or, or Walker or, you know, Bo, and, and I would like to say, I think Bo realizes it. I think Bo knows how cool it is what he's doing. And that's, why he's having such a good time. Um, but to that point, you know, you said these guys, you know, they're just so caught up in the moment and they're so intense. Sometimes you just got to take a step back and realize we all started this for fun. Um, we all were just a bunch of kids riding our four wheelers around in the backyard. Some of us got to the point where we've been able to make a living doing this, um, have companies allow us to represent their brands. Um, and that's something I will never take for granted. So every so often I like to just kind of lean back, take a breath and, and say like, man, this is pretty cool. And I, I do believe that's, what's kind of allowed me to become more comfortable in my own skin, talk about it. And, and I want you and everyone else to know that when I say, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Number one, I mean it. And number two, that's not coming from a place of arrogance. That's coming from a place of appreciation. That's awesome because I think that all of us have lost perspective sometimes and we always, and some of us always do because 
I've been in the situation where, no, I'm not a professional racer um, like you and, and, and Chris and, you know, some of the other guys, but I've got to be the, I've got to be in Mark's shoes and be the guy that's building the bikes and, and, you know, get to stand but, but next to the guy on the top of the box. And, and you're so busy building race machines and you're so busy going from race to race that you forget to enjoy the moment. And, uh, you know, the, the funnest thing to do now is bench race because, you know, you get to talk about the things that you did. You're still getting to live that life. And uh, I appreciate it. And what I meant by self-promotion is for those young people or even some of the older guys to take a moment and reflect on their fans because their fans want to hear them. And trust me, I get the information sent to me daily. Hey, what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? And I reach out to so-and-so and so-and-so and, you know, Sean Finley, Tim Farr, Donnie Banks, you know, Chris Borich, and I can go on and on and on, you know, Bryson and, you know, the Ford brothers and so on. And so many of these young guys don't even realize that their fans still want to talk to them. Sure. You know, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It, it just really is. And, and, and you know what, I've come from the side where the media in some aspects in the beginning of our careers weren't always our friend. No. Yeah. And, and beans that I'm a media guy now and I have a media company, I get it. Um, and I also see the media side of the, I'm just, I, I don't want to tell your story. That's what a podcast is for. It's for you to tell your story. It's not sure. for me to tell your story. I'm not writing an article. I'm not, I have nothing to say. I want you to say it and I want your, your fans to hear you say it. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, no, I mean, I think your podcast and, and even social media, any of it, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to, you know, represent yourself and, and in the process, if um, you know, companies and people in the industry see value in that, I no harm, no foul, I guess. <laughs> I think it's great. You know? If you look at old school companies, like, like the company that I work for, social media is a huge platform now. But one of the things that a lot of people miss dirt wheels magazine is bigger than it has been in probably the last 10 years. Crazy as it is a magazine, somebody buys a magazine. Yeah. You know, our, every time a new issue comes out, our phone rings off the hook. Yep. I mean, it's already ringing off the hook, but it just rings more and, and there's new life. And, and, and I don't think the ATV industry is dying. I think it's growing through a new growth spurt. Yeah. I mean, it's the last 18 months have been pretty wild. So happy to be along for the ride. That's for sure. Well, you know, I have to shout out GBC and GPR because these are two sponsors. You can see them on the, on the banner behind me. Uh, the, these, these people have, have taken a risk on uh, a little media show and put their name on it and uh, are helping us bring the, bring it out to everybody. Um, I know we do as much as we can, you know, the press conferences and things like that. I'm trying to put another one together. Um, we're trying to travel and, and it's pretty amazing that, uh, you know, the people at GBC, you know, reached out to me and said, Hey, we're in, let's, let's do this, you know? And, and, um, that's pretty awesome. I was, I'm so stoked to, to be able to be affiliated. You know, I've been friends with Randy Norman at GPR for, 20 
almost 28 years. You know, when he walked up to my, walked up to the shop door one day and goes, Hey, Doug, I can told me to come and see you about putting this on his bike, you know, and the first version GPR steering dampener, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's uh, you know, those relationships obviously stand the test of time. And um, like you, I mean, obviously my relationship with GBC is uh, I've been, uh, I've been working with GBC and, and working closely with them and, and started riding for them in 2009. So we're now 13 years into that relationship. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to uh, become an integral part of their team over the last 13 years. And, um, you know, I, I'm certain that the, my racing days may be numbered, but my days with not only GBC, but, um, you know, primarily GBC, but so many other companies that I've formed relationships, like you said, you know, 20 some years ago, some guy walks up to your door and, and talks about his product and getting it on Doug Eichner's bike. And, you know, you guys are still friends and, you know, he's, he's helping you out with your podcast and you're promoting his products. So, and to your point of, of self-promotion, um, it's not even, in, in my opinion, that for sure that is a part of it coming on podcasts and, you know, your social media and your accessibility to the fans, your fan base and, and fans that aren't your fans. Um, that's all a big part of it. But but building those rock solid relationships and showing these companies and, and these people in the industry that, you know, you're here for the long haul and you want to be a part of their their company, their family, and and you want to help them grow that, that incentivizes them to want to help you grow. It's a, you know, it's a mutually beneficial relationship instead of just, Hey, what can you do for me? So I, I feel like that's a big part of why I've been able to be successful is, um, I try to, I try to build relationships that are more beneficial for my sponsors and my partners than they are for me. And then that makes them want more of me in the future. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. You've just summed it all up perfectly. All racers need to listen to this and understand it because when you're looking for a sponsor or you're looking for a writer, that's the guy right there. You know, it served me well. I mean, I, I, you know, my, I personally don't feel my, my race results, um, warrant the level of support I get from, from many of the companies by themselves but I'm a hundred percent confident that um, there's very few in the industry who have ever worked as hard um, to really make sure that the people that have invested in me are getting their money's worth than I have. So, and I'm proud of that. And that's, and that's true because when you listen and you talk to the people that, that help you and support you, you hear that, you know, they're putting your name, they're putting your name out there because they're proud to be affiliated with you. And I know this because I talk to so many people behind the scenes and it's Johnny, you have a great name, great name in our industry. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, uh, yeah, that's one of the, one of the things in life I'm definitely proud of is I've, I've always tried to, uh, you know, respect myself, respect the industry and, and obviously respect all the people that have helped me very much over the years. Well, that's awesome. Johnny, I want to thank you for spending some time with me on ATV Talk. I know that you're prepping for the up and coming season that starts here in a couple of weeks. Uh, you you had a busy day today, and I know it's getting late there for you. Um, I, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Um, please hit me back if you have something that you want to talk about or you want to come on the show again, uh, because you're always welcome, always. And I hope to see you out on the West Coast again. Well, you, I can tell you, you will see me out on the West coast again. Uh, and if I knew when I would tell you right now, um, but like I said, and, and you yourself have been looking at the schedule, trying to get Travis and some of the boys out here. It's a challenge these next couple of months, but 
I'll be back. Um, I'll definitely see you. Look forward to shaking your hand when I see you, spending some time chatting. Um, appreciate the well-wishing. Appreciate the invite onto the show. Uh, yeah, D-Day, man. We're down to uh, today's Monday. Um, I believe seven days from today, Walker and I will pull out of here and start heading north. Uh, first round up in South Carolina, first round of GNCC. Um, so I'm excited. Um, I don't uh, I don't know what this year holds, but uh, I do know that this is probably like the most anticipation I've felt to start the season in probably the last three or four years. Um, feeling good, ready to go. Um, no kind of grandiose predictions. Um, but I'm going to give it everything I got and try to build through the first couple of rounds. And, um, man, I, I would love to be able to come on, uh, come back on, on your podcast, you know, come back on ATV talk later this year and, and talk about a podium that I earned in, in 2022, be it GNCC or works or maybe somewhere else. So that's the goal. I, I, I want to be up front. I want to be battling and more than anything, I promise you, I'll be having a good time. Well, I can see the fire in your eye and the way you looked at the works race. Look out boys. He's coming. He may be older than you, but dude, I, I think you got something for him this year. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. All right, brother. I'll let you go. The team here at ATV talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVtalkpodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.